I realized that so much of life is actually not taking a chance. So a lot of people have great ideas. I talked to a ton of people with great ideas, but they won't make the leap to do that idea. And so really the difference between a company and not a company is your ability to take the leap. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to this show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women get to the root cause of their period problems and hormonal imbalances. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, B. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Angela Sutherland, to our show today. Angela is the co-founder and CEO of Yumi, a fresh, organic, and nutritious baby food delivery service. After many years working in private equity, Angela never imagined she'd one day be an entrepreneur and start a baby food company. When she was pregnant with her first child, she became hyper aware of the importance of nutrition in a child's first 1,000 days of life. She realized most baby food offerings in grocery stores are low in nutrition and incredibly high in sugar. She started thinking about all the available options that new working parents have to ensure their child gets proper nutrition without the hassle and cleanup of making every single meal. There wasn't much out there and the opportunity was clear. This led Angela to dive deep into research and discuss the problem with her longtime friend, Evelyn Roosley. And within weeks, they both decided to quit their jobs and create Yumi. It only took one and a half months to launch Yumi's first beta, which was a massive success. They've raised over $30 million to date and are available nationally, while also having a cult following with celebrities like Jessica Alba, Gabrielle Union, and Molly Sims, to name a few. We'll talk to Angela about the importance of taking a leap of faith when it comes to building a business, the power of community building and brand, and lessons she learned about raising capital at different phases of the business. Welcome to the show, Angela. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, before we dig deeper into your story, I would actually love to ask you a big question. I know you're a big believer in the growth mindset and really believing you're worthy of your goals and the dreams that you have in this life. So I'd love to get your opinion. You know, what are the top reasons that people have the belief that I'm not good enough? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of research around the idea of imposter syndrome and where that comes from. And what I think is really interesting is they recently kind of re-looked at that and said, it actually comes mostly from high achieving people. Mm. So it's, if you're high achieving and you accomplish things, you almost feel like not worthy of having to achieve those things. And so sometimes I like to take a step back and say, you did do all those and like, so I think it was you, it was you that accomplished it, right? So I think a lot of times people believe it, like have a hard time even accepting what they've accomplished, right? And I think, so I talk about with like, you know, people I work with and how I, I try to look at what, what I've done in our lives is that you have to acknowledge what you've also done before you can also move on past that. Like you have to like see what you've done and see what you've built and acknowledge like you are good enough and acknowledge that you've been able to build this to that point. You know, and I think that people have a really hard time stopping and acknowledging 
Absolutely. And I'm excited. I'm glad you brought that up because later in the interview, you know, Yumi has experienced so much growth that I'm sure you've had to learn this just on the ground in your own life, in your own journey. So I can't wait to dig a little bit deeper in that. And it's fascinating because I've interviewed over 60 women now, self-made successful entrepreneurs, and people still deal with imposter syndrome. So it's something, you know, to have the awareness and to pause and reflect, I think is so important to your point. So I love that. Well, appreciate you, Angela, for sharing. And, you know, we'll just jump right into your story. So you've talked so much about the inspiration your mom had on your life. I'd love to hear more about her. She seems like a powerhouse and how you think she really influenced the woman that you are today. Oh, absolutely. So my mom is an amazing woman. She came as a refugee from Vietnam. So she came here after the war, like Saigon Fowl came here, didn't know anybody, didn't really speak the language and was able to build a business all by herself, right? So uh, she was an automotive supplier. And I think watching her do that growing up and realizing the potential of the human spirit, the, you know, the fact that you can overcome so much adversity, you know, and I think also, I am very clearly the daughter of an immigrant, like the way that she raised me. And so knowing that like, you have to earn everything and you have to work 10 times harder for everything. And I think all of that just like influenced the person I am today. Before you started Yumi and ended up jumping into this world of entrepreneurship, you had a very incredible career in finance. You know, you're an investment banking and then the private equity world for over six years. So talk about working hard. I know that's a grind. I came from that world as well. So I'd love to hear, you know, as you're going up the ranks in that kind of stable environment, you know, I know the wealth comes with it. You financially become even more stable. Did you know you wanted to take a leap or shift your career? Did you know entrepreneurship was the right next step for you? I'd love to get your mindset when you were working right before Yumi came about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I always knew that I wanted to be in business. And I think that's what like private equity was giving me. I was like the operation partner of that. Like, I think what was obvious to me when we started was the ability to create these type of products like and so sort of seeing this opportunity was what was so exciting and i think it, it, it sort of just i realized that so much of life is actually not taking the chance so a lot of people have great ideas i talked to a ton of people with great ideas but they won't make the leap to do that idea and so really the difference between a company and not a company is your ability to take the leap Right. And so I don't think it was necessarily like I was like, I'm going to find anything out there. It was like, I had an idea. We had an idea that we thought was a brilliant idea. It was going to be great. But again, the difference between me and other people with great ideas that I did, I jumped to do it. I could not agree more. It's all about execution, right? Like so many people have ideas and people are always questioning themselves, but the ones that take the leap and try it and iterate and pivot and grow, which is so much of your story, I think are the ones that end up becoming successful. So I just love that. So tell me more, you know, while you're working, I'd love to hear about how the inspiration of Yumi came about when you had your first kid. It really came because of sort of our generation, I do a lot of research. I was researching a lot in, you know, sort of like looking at peer-reviewed studies and clinical trials and epidemiological reports about child rearing. And it really came back to this belief that this period of life for nutrition is going to be more important than any other period for the rest of your life. I think where food is moving is people are starting to wake up that food is pharma. Like food is actually impacting your life more than the medicine you take, more than all of the other things, right? And so as we wake up to that, 
We're also looking at like what we're doing and feeding our children because what we were fed when we were growing up wasn't that. And so, you know, we're programmed to like tastes that are highly processed or have sugars in excessive amounts. And how can we deprogram our children? And so when I'm looking at this and I'm looking at what's actually out there and finding that all of it is sort of counter that trend. You know, everything out there was shelf stable, highly processed, you know, high in sugar. And I felt that there was a really opportunity there to understand like, this is the generation of people that want that change, that want this to be different. And so it became this mission of mine sort of to to take down that food industrial complex and say like, what can we do with our children now that can actually set them up to have a lifetime of different eating habits, that a lifetime of things that, you know, that like nutrition affects everything from their metabolic rate, the density of their bones, the number of neurons formed. It's all of these things. And so I think once I started realizing like the power of food and that we're compelled to say like, what is going to be this brand? Like what is going to be the brand that makes a difference in someone's life? That like, you know, what's the future of food and how do we become that? And so that's when I started talking to Evelyn, sharing her with this research, kind of saying like, like, what can we build from this? Absolutely. And I know I'm a huge believer in food as medicine. I also started a business around hormonal health using food because it's changed my life. So I am all about everything you guys have brought into this world. And it's interesting because I know at that time you were working many hours and you were making food at home for your child and it just wasn't sustainable, right? Like so many women, a lot of my friends before Yumi were making their own food while managing their own lifestyle, their own career. So there's just such an opportunity here when you guys started. And you talked about out early in the interview, the difference between someone having an idea and really taking the leap. So you have this idea, you went really deep into research. That's something you're passionate about. You spoke to your friend, Evelyn, who ended up becoming your co-founder, but I'd love to know, you know, what gave you the confidence to take that leap? You've talked so much about how you really did a lot of game planning at this stage. So I'd love to unpack that a little bit more for women listening today who might kind of be in that transitory state as well. Yeah. I mean, I think women more than men tend to feel like, you know, we need to plan more in advance, right? So you have all these plans and you can like really set it up. And then the hesitation comes from like, is the plan ever baked enough? And I would say that what Evelyn and I did is if you take the leap first, you actually decide just to jump first. Like all of the planning you're going to get done. Like all of the things that you need to do, you realize you're going to need to do it. And so like part of, I think the importance of just taking the leap and doing the jump is that you can't go back. You know, like you actually have to make it work. But I think it's something that a lot of people just hesitate for that, like, you know, with, they're just so nervous about that leap and like what it says about them or what it's going to mean for their career or their life. And I think you have to be confident that you will actually make it work. You are strong enough to make that happen, whatever that is. So, you know, whether it means like it works or it doesn't work, like you can fix it, you're going to figure it out. And so I think that was like such a big part of the creation of it. I mean, obviously like the nitty gritty of how we did it, I can get into that, but I think Really, if I was like, you know, listening and I thought, what would I have these ideas and I want to do them? I'd say that like, you just got to do it. And how much of, I'd love to get your perspective on this, your leap into quitting your job and going in it is also having a co-founder who's doing it right with you. Like how much weight did that have in you making the decision? A lot. I mean, a lot. And so again, like I think having someone 
in the trenches with you just changes everything, right? It's like also someone who's willing to make the leap. It's almost like they're betting on you and you're betting on them. And so you don't just have to bet on yourself. You know, you're betting on each other. And I think that there's like a power in community. And so there's a lot of studies about like women and men and the difference between like men are very hierarchical and they like to just, you know, have like a hierarchy of a system. And so they're comfortable being alone in that, but women are actually very communal. And so I actually find that having a community and a brand that is community-based, whether it's just like the number of people in the founding team or the number of investors that we have, they're also founders or the number of people that like root for us. And I think that power is what drives us, you know, it can continue to build us. And so I think finding someone else who believes in you and you believe in them is actually a really good first step into that building of the community. Absolutely. I love that because I had a very similar experience. My sister-in-law ended up being my co-founder and I had this idea or I always knew I wanted to do it, but I never took the leap. And when somebody else has faith in you and you have faith in them, it made the decision. I was like 80% there and it just got me to the remaining of 20% to just quit and go all in. So I just love that because it's something that has also helped in my life. And so I know with Evelyn, you know, a co-founder relationship is so important. It's essentially like you're getting married to this person. So I know you guys were friends for many years, but I'd love to hear more about the vetting process you did with each other and the discussions you had when you were having the discussions around her being your business partner and vice versa. So much of it is value driven and it is like getting married. And so it's one of those things where you don't even realize how much like, and so I actually joke that I married her first before her husband did, because like, you know, we started the company before she got married because it is such a tight bond. It's such a close relationship. I mean, we actually lived together for a period. So she, when she moved down from San Francisco, she lived with me. And I would say that it was one of the best experiences because just because it is like a marriage. So it forces you into these situations where you actually have to work through your problems and you have to like get to know each other's like languages and like, how do you guys speak to each other when you're upset? And like, it, it is all of those things. And I think it actually started in a bigger picture of like, how do we build the company culture? Like, how do we actually make it inclusive, like a family so people can talk about what they're going through. We can support them for what they're going through because you just start to realize that so much of these dynamics are things that you've seen in the past. Like you've actually seen this in your family or you've seen this with your friends. And so it was really about that, but it's really vetting. I mean, Evelyn's one of the brightest, most interesting people I've ever met. So it wasn't that I was ever worried from an intellectual standpoint, right? It was actually just like, are we aligned in how big we want this company to be, how much we want this company to grow, what are the paths it takes to get there? And that's, again, just like if you're thinking about like marrying or raising a child. Like, and so we knew what to talk about early. Like, where do we want this? And so we were aligned on where that what we wanted it to grow. And I think that was the basis of, do we think this is a good partnership and can we make it work? I love that you are having all those discussions up front. And to your point, I mean, these are the same type of discussions to have with your partner before kids, before getting married, before you get into a partnership with your business partner. And that's amazing. And what I love also is your skill sets are super complementary, right? I mean, you come from a math finance ops background and she is a master storyteller and is very much into the content and branding, which is so core to Yumi. So I love the play between both of your backgrounds as well. And I'm sure that's helped a lot. Yeah. And that's the other part is like finding someone that like compliments you. Right. And so, you know, we are very complimentary. 
in skill set. So again, her background being in journalism and English, and she looks at the brand and sort of the narrative of the brand and how we're weaving that together. And I'm in finance and the operations side. And so we complement each other. And so there is a lot about like, can you find someone who complements your skill set instead of just being the same skill set? Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds, freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. So you and Evelyn, you know, you come up with the idea, you both decide to quit your job. I know, I believe that one of the earliest stages of the business, you guys decide to raise a friends and family. So I'd love to hear how you decided to go down that route and really what you invested that capital in very early in the business. Sure. I mean, I think the beginning is you've never done this before. And so a lot of like when we raise capital, 
I like to talk about like sort of what capital means at each round, right? So a friends and family round is just actually proving you can do it. And what's exciting about that is that it actually allows, I think, anyone, like people that invest in friends and family, you're just trying to prove like, should this exist, right? Like this is an initial beta of like, can you even make a product that people like? Like does, should this like idea exist? And it's them believing in you, not necessarily the company, it's just them believing in you. And I think that that's actually another reason to do it because if you're even doubting in yourself, like the more you get friends and family to sort of invest in you, then they're believing in you. And so you don't want to fail them and you, you don't want to lose their money, right? And so you actually do this thing and it pushes you to do better because you're really, you know, beholden to your friends and family. So yeah, so that's sort of how we decided to put that together. I mean, there was like a lot of phone calls made, a lot of people, we, you know, like yeah. in that round. Was it uncomfortable to be going to your closest family members and friends? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's so uncomfortable, but again, and it also makes you feel bad. Like you really, really feel like you can't lose their money. Right. But I actually think that's a good feeling. Right. So I'm someone who loves responsibility. Like I actually like, like to feel beholden to people and like, you know, responsible for people. And so that holds me accountable to things. And so it really pushed us, I think, to do better. We wanted to be good stewards of the money and we wanted to make sure that we were doing the right thing. But it also pushes you harder. I mean, if it was just you without taking anybody else's money, you might just like think you're, you know, I'm okay risking my own things. Like I'm okay risking my my year or whatever. But so it actually pushes you to be better because of it. No, that's a really good point. So we haven't gone down the path of raising from friends and family. Just me and my co-founder have put our own money in. And just knowing that somebody else's money, like even her money, despite her being a co-founder, it gives you this, like you mentioned, this sense of accountability. Something just clicks where you go into this mode of, I'm going to figure this out and we're going to make it work. Because the last thing you want is, whether it's your friends, like you mentioned, your family, or even your co-founder losing their money in some sense. So I love that. I think the accountability is huge. So you guys ended up going down that route. And you know, I know you talked about how important it was in the early days to just prove the idea. So can you share more about the beta? What really went into that life stage of the company? Sure. Again, that was really just proof point. So it was actually, can we make a product? Can we build out a platform? So it was finding nutritionists, finding chefs, finding food scientists, like making that work. And so again, like all of this was just like the earliest of days of saying, like, is there product market fit? And in that beta, it just went gangbusters. It just went wow. so, it was like so widely adopted. So many people, so many families signed up. And, you know, we didn't have a name. We didn't have like, we had a different name back then. So we we really saw immediate product market fit. I mean, kind of to your point earlier, I knew a lot of women were cooking at home. Like This is a very hard time in your life. Like you just had kids, you're trying to maybe work again. And so cooking every single meal is intense. Like it's actually a lot of work. And the only reason why these women are doing it is because they felt like everything at the store wasn't good enough. And they felt like they'd be bad mothers if they didn't do that. And so having a solution that makes you not feel bad is huge. So it's not just like even the food itself. It's actually the feeling that you get. Like, you know, I don't have to feel guilty about not doing this. I can actually enjoy time with my child. I mean, we had people talk about like, they otherwise had a nanny make it, but still paying a nanny an hourly wage every single day to make your kids food is, is way more expensive, right? And so you actually have like this 
group of people that are just so thankful that you exist, right? And so that's when we knew we were onto something because it wasn't just the product that mm. they were missing. It was the feeling that they were getting. Absolutely. I mean, that, I have goosebumps just even hearing that. So it just going gangbusters in the early days, was that largely just due to word of mouth? Yeah, it was entirely word of mouth. We didn't do any advertising. We didn't do anything. It was just like friends referring other friends. And again, like, and that's when we knew we were onto something because it was much more than, oh, somebody clicked on a product that they thought was like, looked good. You know, this was, we were inspiring people to like change their life and feel better about themselves. And I think that's when we knew. So just going back into those early days, you know, were there any other key learnings that you had? You know, I know the word of mouth and the fact that it spread so quickly and it was something that so many women needed in their life. Were there any other surprising learnings that you and Evelyn came about in those very early days? Sure. I think another thing was knowing who it served. You know, so what we didn't know was who our client was, right? And so a lot of it is finding out like, who is your audience? Like, and making sure that you like know your audience really well. But what we were really surprised to see was the wide breadth of the audience, because it wasn't just for the 1%. It wasn't just for the yoga mom or like, yes, we had all of those things, but it was actually, the thread was women that cared, you know, it was like, like, you know, like really like were nervous about the, like what they were actually feeding their kid or they were working long hours. And so it was just like, it became this like, more of a psychographic than a demographic. And I think that was something really interesting because it changed who we were as a company, like what we were aiming for as a company too, right? So you have to know who your consumer is because you're going to change like who you are and it is who you are, right? And so I think it goes back to like what the power of the community is. Like you need to know your community because that is who builds that brand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what I love is how you mentioned, you know, that changed and surprised both you and Evelyn. And that's why I think it's so important to get your product out there versus waiting for it to be so perfect. Because once people are using your product, you are learning, you're pivoting. And were you ever a perfectionist or what are your thought process around anyone who's shipping product and bringing something into this world? So I always say this, like perfect is the enemy of the good. So it's sometimes you just have to ship. You are going to learn more after you ship than anything you've done before. So if you wait till it's perfect and you think it's perfect, it's perfect. That means for you, that's what that means. So when you ship it, it's not going to be perfect anymore because it's not perfect to everybody else. Right. And that's who it's for is everybody else. And so you actually have to ship it out, get feedback, hear what people say about it and then make it for that. Right. So you actually are like, it is actually the enemy of what you're actually going for. Like you have to do it. You have to move it out. You have to get it out of there. And so, so many people have this fear of it not being good enough, but you need the feedback to make it good enough. It's not even going to be good enough until you set it out. So I think that's a big big thing about pushing forward in a company is that you have to remind yourself it's constant iteration. There's going to be a good, like a perfect one day, but you're, you're not going to ever be there. So keep going. Yeah. Gosh, Angela, I love that so much. And I did not know you guys even had another name because so many people are like, I don't even know what to name my company. It's like, that doesn't even matter. That could change in the future, you know, just focus on the product and, you know, really building that connection with the community. And I'm curious, you very much have focused on customer service. And in those early days, was it you and Evelyn having those conversations, touching base, or what did the feedback look like in that beta phase? Yeah. I mean, this was great because of the beta. It was was small enough that we actually 
talk to everybody. Like, you know, we emailed every single person and had conversations with them. We had a really close relationship and we still do with our clients, but like, it's, it's really more like, we wanted to know so much about like, what else were they choosing and like, what else like was in their life. And so I think that's why a beta is so important. That's why a small subsection of what you're doing is so important because you just need to learn so much about the community that you're serving. And remind me, how long was this beta? Because I know you ended up going down the VC route and raised funds. So how long was that? And when did you... It was only nine months. So it was actually like a really short period of time because it did so well. Because we're like, okay, wow, like this is going really well. Like if we want to continue doing this, we're going to need to raise money and we're going to actually make this more legitimate. And so we we actually had to start raising money then. So yes, it was a relatively short period of time, but that's what product market fit is, right? It's, It's actually seeing it work and seeing it take off. And so you know, and so you have the confidence because if it doesn't, you have time. You can just redo something or change until it does. But when it does is when you should really go for it. And I also love how you are focusing so much on product market fit before you raise capital. Cause I've worked at tech startups where they raised quite a bit of money before they even nailed product market fit and everybody builds businesses differently. But I remember thinking to myself, I definitely want to perfect that before I get investors on board and really take the company to the next level. So I love the way you guys really thought about it. So I'd love to talk more about your fundraising experience. I believe you were pregnant with your second. And a lot of your interviews, you were actually, I believe, doing on Zoom. And this was pre-COVID where, you know, I don't know how common that was. So I'd love to hear more about your experience fundraising while also being pregnant and building this rocket ship of a company. So I'd like to say that fundraising is gender neutral, but it is not. So like it is, it was a big thing at the time being so pregnant. And so we try to insist on Zoom at least on the early calls to get buy-in, like to get like, you know, excitement before they saw like the below the, like, you know, below the phase, how pregnant I was. I got a lot of questions at the time of like, oh, I'm pregnant. How do I see coming back to work? But I mean, you would never ask a man that question. Like they're about to have a kid. You never like, so are you planning on coming back to work? So it was much harder than I wish it had been. Meaning like, I think that it is still unfair. It's an unfair playing field. And that's, and it's also true for women in general on the products that they choose. And Hmm. I mean, there's tons of obstacles that come with being a woman and a woman of color when fundraising, because you don't have your counterpart sitting on the other end of that table investing in you. And so a lot of men will invest in products that they use. So they're like, oh, razors, I use razors. And so they'll invest in razors, right? And so, but if you don't have your counterpart sitting on the other side of that table, they don't know how to like place you or how to invest in you because it's not the same to them. It's not something obvious to them. And so, you know, we had a lot of comments like, oh, my wife does all the cooking or I think she likes to cook. And and you're like, okay, you're not the audience of people that would otherwise. So what's interesting is like, since we fundraised, we've realized how excited women are. We actually just raised a round that's with women in mind because you're like, this is such a important thing for women, by women, like a community of women, right? And so like, how do you get the power of that behind your brand, right? And I think so fundraising is one of those things that I think is still disproportionately difficult for women. Absolutely. And I mean, you guys have been successful in raising funds, but were there any lessons you learned? I mean, were you more so filtering investors who were women who really understood the need of the product? Like what worked for you guys eventually? Yeah. I mean, again, like we have been very successful. And I think a lot of it is like finding the language and the things that work, right? So like finding 
investors that understand what you're building. So like finding like-minded investors or investors with like similar portfolios to what you're building. And so that, it cuts that a little bit. So you don't have to get them up to speed as much. And you don't have to like sort of take them from zero all the way up to 60. You know, you, you actually, they have, they're halfway there. And so there is a lot of that. And a lot of it is just being confident that what you built was great, right? And so each stage, it gets a little bit better because you realize how many people have actually gotten to where you are today, right? And it's going and approaching it in that way. Like you are building something special and you've done something special. So I think having the confidence in that also helps because it allows you to like, you know, have conversations very differently. Talking about the confidence piece, did you ever have any insecurities? I mean, it looks like the company was resonating with a lot of women and I would just probably, if I were you, just keep listening to them and really getting my confidence through the community of women who love the product. But did you ever have any insecurities or how did you really build your confidence at that time? I think everyone does. Everyone is worried that what they did was not enough or like it should have done more. You made mistakes along the way. So I don't know if, I, if it's confidence as much as like there's doubt. There's always these doubts of like, was that the right choice? Yeah. And I think the, the answer is the same one I give to my kids, which is like, you only learn from your mistakes, right? And so you've almost had to have made those mistakes for you to know as much today. And, you know, and so... You can't look back at all the things and all the challenges that you've overcome. You have to think of them as ways that you've learned more. Like you learn more about your customers because of that mistake. You learn more about your business because of that mistake. And so if you had never made them, you actually probably would still make them one day. Absolutely. And I mean, you guys are now six years in and are you still making those type of decisions that you're learning from consistently all the time? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, we're six inches from a beta, but like we actually have only been national for two years, like oh, two wow. and a half. Yeah. So like we're definitely still learning. It's like you're still in the early phases, like on a lot of these learning things. And I think that that's what's so exciting is that there's still more products to be made and you're never done, right? Like there's more to accomplish. And so you're going to launch more products and make more mistakes. And it's part of this process. But I think that's what customers want from us too. They're learning with us and we're learning together and we're learning from them. So we actually get to be responsive to them. Like, so if they want something different from us, we get to change for them. Right. And I think it's actually what I think people want out of their brands nowadays. They actually want this interactive relationship where it's no longer just like, hey, I didn't have a good experience and I'll never talk to you again, right? This is actually like, this brand can be better for you. And so our brand continuously gets better every week because of responses from people. Gosh, I love that. I think so much of entrepreneurship is also just the mindset. You know, before you start, even when you're in beta or even pre-beta, you are always making decisions. You're always learning. Nothing is ever perfect. Like we've talked about many times. And as your business continues to grow, it just changes and you're doing different kinds of decisions. So it just goes to showing how important your mindset is in terms of pivoting and not feeling like you need to be perfect and not kicking yourself in the butt because you're wrong. It's like you're here to learn and grow. And anyone who's able to do that are the ones that are having more sustainable companies and are continuously growing. So I just love to hear. Absolutely. If you think about like Apple's product, it's not the same as it was 10 years ago. I mean, Nike products, like any of these, like you have to remember like your product, whatever it is, if it's you or a physical good, it's never done. 
And if it is done, then you're not like, you're not, you're, it's like, you have to keep growing. You have to keep changing it. And so there's going to be mistakes along the way. And then you learn and then you get better. And so you got to, that, that's what makes a big brand. That's what makes a big company is that belief that it's going to keep getting better. So going back a little bit, you know, you raised your first round from VCs. How did you really focus on gaining even more awareness? I know the first round with the beta was a lot of word of mouth, but what really helped you get yeah. more awareness and traction in those early days? Well, I mean, I think it was actually a little bit of both growth marketing, but also emphasis on community. And it's still to today is what we consider the most important because our product is, again, for a community, like for these early parents, right? And so like, if we double down on the community, then whatever is helped by growth or Instagram or TikTok or any of them, it's because of the strength of the community, like, because you're going to have to ask somebody, did you hear about this product? Did you know about this product? Right. And so we really want to emphasize on like the experience and like, how do we build out again, that feeling? Cause that's what drove us to be so successful in the beta. And so even with our seed round or any of our venture capital, we realize that the true strength of the brand comes from that feeling and that takeaway. And if we can make sure that parents really feel supported and feel like they can feel like they're making a smarter decision and they're making a better decision than any other growth lever is just going to be on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And what were some of the things you were doing in terms of building that community? Was it in-person events? Was it an ambassador program getting your power users together once a month? I mean, what were some of the things that you guys were doing for building that community? I mean, that's actually more Evelyn Jovan in mind. I mean, she's like obviously like the brand community builder, but like she definitely emphasized on can we find those notes? You know, can we find the mommy and me groups that are influential? Can we find these parents that are influential? Like maybe they're the ones like being heavy referrals, like, you know, to other people. And so, and then backing them. And I think that was such an important aspect of building a company like ours. And I think building any companies, like again, finding their community is and backing them. I love that because it's finding people who resonate with your product, who strongly believe in it and backing those people versus like just casting a wide range and going hardcore marketing and just blasting everybody. It's like, how can you find your community and the right people and just really elevate them because they're the right partners and they are going to bring in the right people who also like your product. So it's the right way to do it. I, I love that. One question I have as a first time founder, I mean, this might be a a larger picture, kind of taking a step back, you know, what were maybe one or two of the pain points or challenges you personally faced? Just first time building a company, whether it's really working on your mindset, although that seemed pretty good from the early days, but anything that you've personally had to grow into as a leader, as an entrepreneur? Of course, I think that a lot of it is how much of it is management. So you don't realize how important it is to find the right team, to inspire the right team, like to inspire them at all. It's like how important that relationship is because I was always like a doer. So I was always the person that was, I'm going to do everything and I'm going to make it like great. And and so can't do it right, do it yourself. Turns out that's not true, right? So like can't do it right. Like let's help people to all do it right together. Like it, it can't just be you, you know, like to make a company scalable. I mean, that's the difference between a mom and pop and a global company, right? Is like a mom and pop, sure, the mom and pop can do it right. But 
if you really want it to scale and get bigger, you actually have to figure out the system of empowering other people to do it right and finding the right people to help you. And I think it's really like, that was such a big part of being a first-time founder is learning that network and how to properly create that environment where people are doing that work. And I think it just ends up being so important. I'm sure. And then, I mean, similar to you, like I'm a doer, I'm self-motivated. I'll like get something done, but for you to grow anything big and amazing, you have to inspire others and make sure what your team is aligned to for their why. And are they doing that at your business? And can you, you know, just continuously inspire people? So I haven't reached that level within my company yet to bring a big team, but I can only imagine that being such a critical factor. And to your point, really what differentiates mom and pops from larger businesses. So that is so awesome to hear. One question I also have, as you know, a mother of two young kids and a leader of this high growth business, I'm sure exhaustion is real. I don't have kids and I do feel sometimes overwhelmed and I try to have like self-care practices. And I always think about when I do have kids, like how do I change my lifestyle to kind of manage it all? I mean, how have you set up your lifestyle or any tips or advice you have in managing everything while also still making sure you're not exhausted and depleted to show up? I mean, it's actually such a big part of who we are culturally, like at the company. So the name of the company is You Me, in part because there's a you and a me in it. So like when you do something like that, when you actually trust others to help you, like you're taking care of yourself as much as you're taking care of your kid. And it's a lot about learning that in life. Like it's like, it's like, can you find ways that you can take care of yourself a little bit more, right? And trust, that's why we didn't name it something like little or baby or things. It's not just about that. It's actually about you. Like it's about finding time to be there for yourself and support yourself and trust yourself and think of yourself as a smart parent and not, you know, think about life only being like the measurement of how much did you sweat and how much did you bleed and how much did you break? Because so much of life is also recovery. And I think this is something that also as an analogy I learned, which is to be the strongest, you can't just lift weights every day. Mm. Like you actually have to give your muscles time to repair. And then that will actually make for stronger muscles. And that I think is true with us as people. Like you can't just push it every single minute of every single day. You actually have to give yourself time to like repair. And so I think that's, it's such a big part of, I think the company and the company's ethos and mm. what I believe. And so I think it's just really important to try to do that. That being said, it's super hard. And so I have a really hard time balancing it all. Like I have a really hard time working and doing this job and doing everything else in my life. And I think something always gives, but I deeply believe in that. So I think it's something that we all try to work for. Gosh, I love that. Recovery is so important. And I think, I don't know, when you were working in private equity investment banking, you don't learn that. It's go, 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 go. And that's kind of how I was conditioned. And it wasn't until I started my business where it's just completely different. You have to recover to think strategically, to really take those like big leaps and bounds. And I'm realizing it now, but yeah, there's so much more balance. And I love how you mentioned recovery because everybody needs to recover. We are not robots at all. Yeah, right. Exactly. And did you see, was it a tough transition for you? I mean, Angela, pre-Yumi, were you recovering? Did you always have a sense of balance and, you know, was health and wellness part of your world? Yes. No, I think I've always struggled with it. Again, I'm like, was always like the overachiever and put more hours into things, but like, I also didn't have kids. Yeah, so, you know, different. I think so, yeah. different. So, I mean, I think that I definitely learned it more. So, so to your point, like when you're just someone working for someone else, you actually 
are treated like a cog. So you work yeah. as much as possible and you move as much as possible, but you don't realize the recovery that's needed to think strategically or to actually like think big picture and get everything involved and like, you know, sort of move all the pieces. And so I definitely think I noticed the need for it more now. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. It's the best. Uh, I think I heard, I can't remember if it was you or Evelyn, but like just growing a business is just such a great personal journey. You are always growing yourself internally. It's like the best place for transformation. You know, I want to close on one last question that we love to ask all of our guests. Wealth means so much more than money and everybody has their own definition of wealth at this stage in your life. What does wealth mean to you? I like to think a community is part of what makes us feel rich. It's like a richer life. You know, it's like a deeper and richer life. And I also think, you know, like health as well. And so it kind of goes to both of those things. And so like where I think food is your, thy medicine and the ability to be healthy and be and actually experience this life and live this life, I think that is a luxury that is wealth, right? I also, again, like the community, I think is such a big part of this too, because that's when you really feel like the richest and the most accomplished is when you can actually have that community around you. Absolutely. And it seems like, you know, both health and community are just core values of Yumi. So you are living that day to day, which is so, so awesome to hear. But thank you, Angela, for joining us and sharing your story. This was so much fun. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It was a great time. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.